Our Bible reading today is taken from Paul's epistle to the Colossians, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 8. Uh, probably for the last time, uh, these words are introductory, so let's hear the Word of God. They'll come up on the screen. We appreciate if you uh, see them, but we also want you to hear them, and we would encourage you to get a copy of your own Bible and follow the reading as we read God's precious, infallible, and inerrant word. Reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, for I heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing of his reading of his own precious, infallible, and inerrant word. Now this morning, as we continue our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, I want to turn our attention to Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 through to 8, and I want us to consider today the theme, the portrait of a gospel minister, or the profile of a gospel minister. Now this is our fourth message as we begin to open up the book known as the book of Colossians. Remember, we're still in the introduction stage. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, forms that introduction. Now, we've already thought of Colossae in the first sermon as the discovery of a new beginning. We thought about the particulars of Colossae, a small, insignificant, backwards town in the heart of the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. Why is it in the Bible? Here's the answer. Because the Lord had the pleasure of planting a New Testament church there. Colossae was one of a group of three churches in the area. We learn this from chapter 4 and verse 13, uh, where uh, Paul says, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. We have already thought about the penman who wrote this letter. And the answer is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now you've got his identity, Paul. You've got his authority, an apostle by the will of God. And then we thought about his family, for he mentions, and Timotheus, our brother. Then we considered the people of Colossae, to whom did Paul write, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. 
There was people with a testimony that they were in Christ. They'd been purchased by the blood and born of the Spirit. We've got their purity mentioned. They were living saints. They were holy ones unto the Lord. We've got their fidelity. They were faithful brethren. We've got their maturity. We've got their unity here. And then we heard the proclamation to Colossae, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stood in need of grace. And they needed to hear this word of peace uh, because of they were under attack by false teachers and false teaching. In the second sermon, I set forth the essential signproofs or signposts, the proofs of real, true, genuine, Bible-believing Christianity, namely their faith in Christ Jesus, their love for the saints, and their hope of heaven. The last week, the third message majored on the words of um, Colossians 1, 5b, the word of the truth of the gospel. And during that message, I told you that the gospel must be recognized in relation to its character. The word of truth. We thought about its content. The gospel, remember, is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's important that you remember that. The gospel centers in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you seven things about the gospel that are very important. And I believe that we need to understand and rediscover what the gospel is. And if we're going to stand firm in the truth of what the gospel is, then we can easily identify what the false gospels of men are in our day and generation. I also told you that the word of the truth must be received. The people of Colossae had received the truth of the gospel. How? A man by the name of Epaphras, he was in the city of Ephesus, 120 miles away. This man was a native of Colossae. Um, he he uh, was from the same town. We're not told why he was in Ephesus. Maybe he was there in a business trip. Maybe he was a, a former merchant. But he heard the Apostle Paul preach the gospel. And he got converted to Christ. And after he was saved, he came back to Colossae uh, and started to preach the gospel. And gospel light and gospel truth worked powerfully on the, some of the Colossian people. And many other souls received the message as the word of truth repented of their sin, received Christ as Lord and Savior, and a New Testament church was formed. Most likely that church started to meet in the house of Philemon, a wealthy man also living in, and a native of Colossae, a man who was also converted under Paul's ministry. And we this morning would never have heard of Colossae if this man had never gone into Colossae preaching the gospel. And we closed last week with the thought that the word of the truth must be regarded. Regarded as the chief authority. For here's the great litmus test. As it says in the book of um, Isaiah, Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And the litmus test is, have they got the word of truth. Is it on their lips? Is it in their life? Uh, and of course, this is how we recognize uh, what, what sin is and recognize what salvation is all about and recognize who the Savior is. We, we recognize 
who God is and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the Apostle Paul was beginning to deal with and combat these false teachers and false teaching in Colossae. I want you to think of Epaphras. He left Colossae. He was a faithful minister there. He traveled to the coast, 120 miles. He traveled well over another 850 miles to Italy on a ship. He journeyed on to Rome to find Paul. Paul is a spiritual father in the faith. He finds him in a prison house there, under house arrest, and he shares with him. He communicates with him what's really going on Colossae. And he's asking, how do I combat this Colossian heresy, this heresy of Greek philosophy and Jewish ceremony? Now, this is what he did. His threat was real. Notice the words of Paul as he writes to this church. Since we heard of 5b, whereof ye heard before. Verse 6, which has come unto you since the day we heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned, verse 7 of Epaphras. Notice how Paul describes him in verse 7. Our dear fellow servant, who is for you what? A faithful minister of Christ. You see, in response to all that Epaphras had communicated to the Apostle Paul about the people in Colossae, indicating that he had a spiritual passion for them there, Paul wrote this letter. And I want you to notice in the introduction how the Apostle Paul describes him. He says in verse 7, here's the heart of our text, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. He's also mentioned at the close of this letter. If you listen to the words in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you. That's how we know he's a native of Colossae. A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record, verse 13, that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Here's additional information. He mentions him at the start of the letter. He mentions him at the close of the letter. And in fact, there's a third reference to um, Epaphras. It's mentioned in Philemon, uh, verse 23. And Paul calls him there a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So it's obvious that Epaphras, uh, during one of his visits to Paul, he was under house arrest. He himself was arrested and, and was imprisoned along with Paul. Today I want to think about this subject. The portrait of a gospel minister. What is a gospel minister like? So let me take up these words in this introduction here. Having discovered this new beginning of this church in Colossae. Having discovered the proofs of genuine Bible, but even Christianity there. Having understood it came about because of the reception of the word of the truth of the gospel. Let's think of these words, a faithful minister of Christ. I want us to think of four things this morning. Let's think firstly of the characteristics of a gospel minister. I don't want you to think of a man's physical features. I don't want you to think of his stature or his weight. 
whether he's black hair or brown hair or gray hair. I don't want you to think if he's blue eyes or brown eyes or green eyes. I don't want you to think whether the man's tall and handsome and good looking. I don't want you to think about his intellectual abilities. Has he got a degree from a university? Is he a great speaker? Is he so soothing that you can listen to him all day? I don't want you to think of his physical features. I don't want you to think of his intellectual capability. I don't want you to think of his winsomeness or his personality. I want us to should think about what this man is like spiritually. We're thinking about the characteristics of a gospel minister. What's he like? Not physically, not intellectually, not his personality, but what's he like spiritually? Let me suggest this. He's a saved man. Epaphras has a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. He told Paul about the faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, people who bore the mark of having faith in Christ Jesus. He understood that as an act of believing, but he also understood that as possessing faith to believe and embrace all that the Bible teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he thought about the people there, these faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, he had to think of the day that he too had got saved. The day that he too had come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe there was a time in Epaphras' life when he recognized he was a sinner, a guilty, hell-deserving sinner, that he had a precious soul, that he needed a saviour, that he needed God's salvation. He heard from the lips of Paul that there's only one saviour of sinners. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul taught there's one way to be saved from sin's penalty, from sin's power, sin's pleasure, sin's presence. Hi, Jesus Christ. Acts 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to say this morning, Epaphras heard from Paul that there's not two saviors. There's not two ways to be saved. There's not two roads to salvation. There's not many roads or ways to God. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Epaphras discovered he needed to experience God's salvation for himself. And he recognized his sinnership. He owned it. He repudiated that sin. He repented of it. He was sorry enough to quit and turn from it unto God. And Epaphras in a certain time was born of the Holy Spirit and washed in the blood. And he was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And he's been led by the Spirit of God. This morning I'm thrilled to proclaim to you that in the Free Presbyterian Church every minister of the gospel And every elder within our denomination, those individuals are called upon at ordination to give a personal word of testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, the problem today in the English-speaking world here in Northern Ireland and beyond, we have men in the pulpits, clergymen, who are not saved. They're not in Christ. Now, they're good men. They're sincere. 
They're, they're wise, they're intelligent, they're caring, they're winsome men, but they're not in Christ. They, they have no testimony to the saving and keeping power. They've not seen themselves uh, without Christ in the journey of life. They've not seen themselves without God in this world. They've not seen themselves without hope in this world. And you know what? They're no good to Christ. It's church. They're blind leaders of the blind. The danger is of losing their own soul. But the danger is of leading the souls to whom they're ministering to astray. So that those souls will end up in hell for all eternity. Not only the own soul, but the souls of hundreds of others. You see, but this is not only for the minister. Or for the elder. Not only for the not only for the Sunday school teacher and the organist and the youth worker and the leader, but it's also for you individually. Can I ask this morning, are you a saved man or saved woman as you're listening to me? Have you seen that you're a hell-deserving sinner? You're guilty before God. And if you repented of your sin and received Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them give a power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So there's the first characteristic. He's a saved man. Here's the second characteristic. He's a sanctified man. I believe that Epaphras was a man zealous for God himself. Notice how Paul describes him. Our dear fellow servant. I want you to think of that. The word fellow servant means he was a fellow born slave. And you've got to think of a master-slave relationship. He was born again and created anew in Christ Jesus to be his master's servant. In other words, he was created anew to serve God. And everyone that's born again of the Holy Spirit will want to serve God. They'll have great zeal, and that zeal will be expressed in a life of holiness and consecration to God. Isn't that what we read about Epaphras? For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you. Think of those words. He aspired. He has strove despite all his faults and feelings, to live a holy life unto God. The Bible says, follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12 and 14, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is not the ground of our salvation. It's the fruit. It's the evidence. And isn't this the problem today? Men in the pulpit profess to be saved. They talk about a date, a time, when they pray to prayer, but they try to live as close to the uh, spirit of the world or the edge of the world as they can. They try to be hip and cool. We see it in the way that they're dressed. We s notice it in how they speak, that they're slick communicators. But many sadly abuse their liberty in Christ. They, they abuse their freedom in Christ. And many today, even in the pulpit, have a massive problem with purity. They struggle with impure thoughts. Worse, they're strangled with impure deeds. Even drunkenness and pornography and lust and envy and greed and jealousy and pride, secret sins, gambling, sexual misconduct. And they forget that purity is essential. And they forget that they need to keep short accounts with God. And here's a fact. We all have sins and flaws. And this preacher knows them. But we must confess them daily to God. We must repent from them. 
If we forget that we need to purposefully and 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 uh, purposefully and and uh, strive purposefully after a life of holiness. The Bible says, "The Lord knows them are His, but let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity." And I believe a true minister of the gospel will radically want to deal with sins in his own life, and he'll repent of it and confess it to the Lord, and he'll seek to put them under the blood. And it was Robert Murray McShane said, Lord, make me as holy as it's possible for a saved sinner to be. And the Lord Jesus taught, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. In other words, it moves from the look to the touch. Now that's radical teaching. Anything that's causing a problem, we must stop it. We must repent of it. We must get right with God. It was the late Colin Packham out of the faith mission that used to teach us, woe unto me, Lord, for I too am a man. And of course, how are we going to cope? Well, listen to the word of God. The Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And here's the answer, by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 9. He's not only a sanctified man, but he's a studious man. He's a man of the study of the word of truth. Epaphras was a gospel man through and through. He studied the scriptures of the Old Testament. He preached Christ and him crucified. I can remember, of course, many, many years ago when I was in the faith mission, struggling as a young man there, asking myself, why am I here? And I remember one night getting alone with God, and I asked that question, Lord, why am I here? And I got the answer, you're here to know God. You're here to soak your heart and mind in the great fundamentals of the faith. You're here to learn about Christ so you can preach them to all who will listen. You're here to study yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Think of those words. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Could I just also remind you of what the psalmist said? In Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. This man was a studious man. He gave his heart and life to the study of the word of the truth. This was a spirit-filled man. There's only one reference to the Holy Spirit in the whole of Colossians, and that's in verse 8. He also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Paul was not alone whenever Epaphras opened up his heart. Others were listening. Some are mentioned in this letter. And he declared unto us, your what? Your love in the Spirit. He told Paul and others about the love that they had produced within them by the Spirit of God. Remember, love is the fruit of the Spirit, or at least one of the component parts of that fruit. Ephesians 5, 18 says, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit can only fill a holy life. The Holy Spirit, in that sense, can only fill a clean cup. The psalmist asked the question in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? And here's the answer. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart is not sworn deceitfully, nor lifted up his soul unto vanity. And isn't there a great lack today of the power of the Holy Spirit? 
Isn't there a great lack today of ministers having the anointing of God upon them? I think of the words of Micah. I am full of power by the Spirit of God. And we long for that. You pray for me that I'll be a Spirit-filled man in this pulpit. Here's another characteristic. But he was also a supplicating man. In Colossians 4 and verse 12, we're told, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Do you see that? He was praying for these people, not just in his quiet time, Lord bless the folks in Colossae, but I believe he set aside time to specifically pray for this church. He was naming names. He was bringing their needs to the Lord. Remember, it's a sin not to pray. And I believe because of the lack of prayer, there's a lack of power. No prayer, no power. No prayer, no blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. Much prayer, much blessing. Epaphras was a supplicating man. And that's why I delight in taking time of coming into this church during the week. And spending alone here an hour with God praying for this work. That God would bless it. He'd be outpouring up the Spirit. He was a strong man. Here's another characteristic. What did he pray for? He prayed that ye may stand. You see, this man stood for the great truth of the gospel. And as he stood before God's people, he would say to them, I believe God. The God of the Bible. All that God has revealed in the word of truth in relation to the gospel. The incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth, the sinless life, his atoning death. His bodily resurrection, his ascension. The fact that he's God's prophet, he's God's priest and king. The personal visible return of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Revealed in the Bible alone to the glory of God alone. He had a high view of the Bible. He believed in heaven and hell. He believed in a literal 24-hour, six-day creation. He believed in a personal devil. In the need for the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. He, he believed in the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse and pardon sin. Here were people sitting under Epaphras' ministry. And Epaphras had sat under Paul's ministry and learned from him. And he's now appealing to his spiritual father. And his spiritual father writes that this man prayed that you might stand before God. Strengthened with the spirit to lay hold on the great truths of the gospel. Here's the characteristics of the gospel minister. And as you pray for the gospel minister, then you thank God for that man's salvation. You, you thank God this morning for the gospel minister who is sanctified, who is studying the scriptures, who is spirit-filled, who is supplicating, who is strong in the great truths of the gospel. That's the characteristics of the gospel minister. <coughs> Let's say secondly, the communication of the gospel minister. Notice the words here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7. As he also learned of Epaphras. What does that mean? 
It means they learned the good news of the gospel from a man. A saved man, a sanctified man, a spirit-filled man, a studious man, a supplicating man, a strong man, a man possessed and controlled by the spirit of truth. He will speak the word of truth. He'll speak the word of truth unto the people. He's been led and guided by the spirit of truth. Isn't the spirit of God called the spirit of truth? John 15 and verse 26 Listen to these words. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. It says in John 13, or John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Epaphras was a man who came preaching the word. He had a zeal to set forth the gospel. He used every opportunity. Preaching the word to him was not a drudgery. It was a delight. It was not a job. It was a joy. He was not a professional preacher. He was a passionate preacher. I believe that we need to treat professionalism in the pulpit like a plague because it's not about performing a duty a preacher is no real office hours you're not going to phone the manse and be told sorry I'm not available right now I'll get back to you on Monday or Tuesday Epaphras was a man of great zeal and he had a great zeal for preaching the word of God he took time and effort to be a teacher, so much so that the people learned. He wanted the people to be enlightened in these great truths. He wanted them to be educated. He wanted them to be exhorted. He wanted them to be encouraged. Remember, these are former pagans, and their lives have been changed and transformed by the truth of the word of the gospel. Epaphras brought the word of the truth of the gospel to the people of Colossae. Remember, he was one of them. Colossians 4 and 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, he was a native of Colossae. And we can see the impact of his ministry from what he shared with the Apostle Paul. He's already heard from his lips about their faith in Christ Jesus, their love for all the saints, their hope for heaven, their love in the Spirit. He, he talked about how the Holy Spirit had produced a love in their hearts for God and for the gospel. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10, he says this in verse 14. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except to be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of great things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who have believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This man was sent from the Lord. This man was guided by God with a message to his own fellow countrymen. He had a genuine love for their souls. That was part of his great zeal. He pointed them to the grace of God and truth. He didn't water down the message. He didn't change the word for their pagan culture. He, he, he didn't change the word to please the people. 
not the gospel according to Epaphras. It was the word of the truth of the gospel. And he taught it to them. He drove home the great truths of the gospel. I believe he did open air work. He would have involved in door-to-door ministry. He would have been in the marketplace. He took every opportunity to speak to the people. And here's the evidence. There, There was fruit in their lives. I believe he prayed for every opportunity. I heard a story about a minister recently sitting in an airplane. There was three seats. He was in the window seat somewhere in the United States of America. He was going to preach somewhere. And he was asked by the two people beside him, was he going on a business trip? Was he going to work? And he said no, that he was going to preach the word of God at a certain place. This man happened to be reading a book on angels. And he said to the preacher, well, here's something that will help your homily on Sunday. The preacher asked him, do you go to church? They told the preacher that there were Roman Catholics and they were going to their granddaughter's confirmation service in some other part of the United States. And he said, that's nice. And he asked them, do you read the Bible? And they said, yes, Roman Catholics are now encouraged to read the Bible. And he said, that's wonderful. Have you ever read this? First Timothy 2 and 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And immediately his wife jumped in, this man's wife, and said, but there's many ways to God. And this preacher replied, no, dear, I'm sorry. That is not the truth. There's one way to God. There's one mediator between God and man. You see, here's a fundamental mark of a child of God, a fundamental mark of a man of God, uh, someone who is gripped by the word of the truth, whether it's a preacher like Epaphras or whether it's a lay preacher or an evangelist or whether you're just an ordinary believer you'll want to take every opportunity to share that word of truth in the gospel there's the communication of the gospel preacher he's a preacher of the word but he's also got a passion for the work We're told about this man in Colossians 4 and verse 13, For I bear him record that he had a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Heropolis. You see, this man, who was a fellow servant of Paul, meant that he was a fellow servant of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul calls him. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. You see, if you're a a servant of Jesus Christ, a a slave to Christ, then you're not just a member of a group. You're not just a mere attendee. This man who recognized he was a servant of Christ, a fellow servant of Paul, a fellow slave, he had a heart for the people. He was full of zeal toward them as a, a, a faithful minister of Christ. He was fully dedicated to the work. Three churches, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. He ministered in all three places. How? When? I don't know. I I don't know how he did it. Had he the help of others? He probably had. But there was a pastor-people relationship here. He undertook to be their minister. Was he called? I believe he was. This wasn't a career choice. He first had a love and a loyalty to Jesus Christ. And because he was totally committed to Christ and his cause, then the people of Christ were very dear to his heart. He had a burden for every opportunity to preach and evangelize the lost. And here's a question 
for me this morning? Am I this type of minister? Here's a question for you this morning. Are you this type of person? You see, there's a two-way relationship here. His love and loyalty to people and their love and loyalty to him as a minister of the gospel. They recognized that special, important office that he had. And there was empathy and sympathy from them to him. And there was empathy and sympathy from him to them. And there was a love for him and a loyalty to him because of his love and loyalty to Christ and to their souls. Could I think thirdly this morning, the care of the gospel minister. Epaphras was a man who deeply cared for their souls. Not only did he preach to them, but he prayed for them. Listen to verse 12 of Colossians 4. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You see, this wasn't just a tag on. This wasn't part of a, a daily devotional routine. This man got alone with God. This man set aside special time. This man wrestled before God in their heart. As I've said, he named names. He brought their needs before the Lord. He was constantly praying. Now he was out of sight. He was out of earshot. He, he's a thousand miles away in Rome. And what's he praying? That you might stand. That you might stand perfect. That you might stand perfect and complete. Not only in the will of God. But in all the will of God. You see this man's fearful for the work. This man recognizes there's false teaching and false teachers in Colossae. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 mentions their enticing words. You've got to think about their subtlety and their deceit. Chapter 2, verse 8 talks about their philosophy and vain deceit. Chapter 2, verse 8 talks about the traditions of man. Chapter 2, verse 16 talks about wrong judgment that was taking place. You can't do this, you can't do that. Remember rules and regulations. Chapter 2, verse 18, he mentions a voluntary humility and, and the worship of angels. And this man's concerned. He knows that he has to give an account. So here's his care. You know, when he preaches to them, but he prays for them individually and personally that they might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God for their lives. That's the care that the gospel minister has for the souls of men. He's a true and faithful watchman before God. And let me say in closing this morning, the commendation of the gospel preacher. How did Paul describe him? He described him, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. This man didn't set out to become wealthy not a millionaire or a billionaire. He didn't aspire to be rich. He didn't want to be a powerful world leader. He didn't want to be known as a great orator or a spokesman. This man set out to be a faithful minister of Christ. Could I ask this morning, what do you want to be, young person? Do you ever think about being a faithful minister of Christ? You see, this man who wasn't out to promote self, this man has been endorsed by Paul. Paul is warmly endorsing Epaphroditus. Paul is 
flagging up this man. This man's faithful. That's how he describes him. Not successful, but faithful. He, he's working on behalf of God's people. He's there to teach them. He's there to live before them. He, he acted according to the truth of the gospel. He's there like a, a wise doctor, like a nursing mother. He's there as, as a shepherd of the sheep. There's a story told about a farmer who had a number of lambs killed by a wolf. And the man asked the farmer, the sheep farmer, why the wolves do not touch the mature sheep. And he got the answer. The wolves only go after the lambs. Epaphras was commended as a gospel minister. He wouldn't settle for cheap grace or evil believism. He doesn't want the people to fall back into a works religion. He doesn't want them to embrace a false piety. He wants them to know that he is a faithful minister of the gospel. A profile of the gospel minister. He's got many spiritual characteristics. He not only has characteristics... But this particular man communicates the great truth of the gospel. He's got a care for the souls of all that's under his charge. And here's his commendation. Here's the apostle. And what does he say about him? He's a faithful minister of Christ. And if I end my day with that testimony, a faithful minister of Christ, then I will count it something of honor. I labor to be nothing more than an unprofitable servant of Jesus Christ. May the Lord take these few truths and bless them to you today, and I trust they'll be helpful as we open up the book of Colossians.